Good evening, and welcome to Mining the Riches of the Parsha. Tonight is Thursday night, March 24th, 2022, and I am so grateful to every one of you for being here. This is the highlight of my week to get to spend this hour with you, and I'm looking forward to this, and I appreciate you joining. This week's Torah portion, the Parsha of Shmini, lists the kosher and non-kosher species. Kosher supervision has been a major part of my life throughout my entire career. Since coming to Montreal, which is now over 20 years ago, I'm responsible, obviously, for the kashrut, for the kosher supervision here at Adath, and kosher questions come up all the time on a daily basis. Before moving to Montreal, I worked for all of the major kashris organizations as their local supervisor or mashkiach. I worked for the OU, for the OK, for the Star K, and others. And also, I granted supervision, certification to uh, stores, to restaurants, to manufacturers, both in Louisiana and in Connecticut over a period of uh, about 18 years or so. I started in New Orleans, which is where my first rabbinic position was, where we lived for four years. And the first job that I had officially in Kashras was to make occasional visits to a rice factory on behalf of the Star K. Star K is one of the major conscious organizations located in Baltimore, Maryland. And uh, they asked me to be the local representative of a brand of rice that was being produced in Louisiana. So it was very interesting, actually, to learn how rice is produced. Uh, there's not really much to check from a kashra's point of view because they only made rice, only unflavored rice. So all there was in the plant was rice and um, no other ingredients, no other um, uh, procedures, no other products on the premises, except most rice sold in North America has vitamins that are added to it, fortified with certain vitamins. So, of course, I had to check the vitamins to make sure that they were kosher. And I had to see everything, even though it was a very simple operation from the point of view of kosher laws, I had to make sure that I was seeing every inch of every space just to make sure that nothing else was happening because you don't know unless you look. It was a giant factory building. One of several such buildings spaced out over a large area in the middle of nowhere, a couple of hours drive away from New Orleans. And this building had large, tall, open windows through which I could see in the distance the next buildings and there were similar buildings in this general area. 
And I noticed something on the windowsill of this factory building. There was white powder on the windowsill. So I asked the manager who was showing me around, what is this, uh, what is this white powder? And he said, oh, that's flour from the wheat flour plant in the next building, which was about a kilometer away. But it blows. And powder was all over from this wheat flour plant. So I learned two things. The first lesson I learned is that for Sephardim who eat rice on Pesach, it's necessary to make sure that there's no actual chametz in the rice. And it's necessary to make sure that there is no trace of wheat flour, which is chametz, from some nearby plant that might have come in through the window. I don't think I ever would have thought to realize that might be a potential problem, but I learned it when I was making this visit. I learned a second lesson with this incident, much more serious lesson, a tragic lesson. Years later, many years later, a woman I do not know called me she wanted my help to file a lawsuit against the OU. The OU is by far the largest cautious organization in the world. And she wanted to file a lawsuit because her child had a very serious milk allergy. Her child had eaten a food that was listed as OU Parav. Parav means neutral, no dairy. And the child, Nebuch, had a severe allergic reaction and passed away. It's a terrible, terrible tragedy. And I'm listening to this woman on the phone. She's telling me this story. I don't know who she is. I listened I cried with her. I expressed sympathy. But she wanted my professional help as a Katra's expert to be able to sue the OU because clearly there was some dairy in that product that her child ate, even though the OU had labeled it as parav. The truth is, this woman was not a Jewish woman, but she relied on the power of designation of the OU to assume that that food was safe for her child that had this serious dairy allergy. But tragically, that's just not true. In Jewish law, there is a concept of bitul, Bitul means nullification, when something is insignificant in the final product. So it works like this, and this is an oversimplification, but it works like this. 
If there's a company that adds even a minute amount of dairy to a product, then a supervising agency, a kosherist organization that is certifying that the product is kosher, cannot list that product as parav because they know that a dairy ingredient had been added, even if it is minuscule, they are not allowed to designate it as parav. But in a situation where there is a trace, for example, something that blew in through the window and was not even noticed, certainly leaves no residue, there is no taste, it's not noticeable, it's not even visible, that food is still parav according to Jewish law. Even though it is not safe for someone with a serious allergy. And so this is a lesson I learned in a very tragic manner that one should never rely on kashras information for medical purposes because the standards are different. And that's a very important lesson for everyone to learn. Also, while we were in New Orleans, I supervised a deli. It was a kosher deli under my supervision, under my certification. So, of course, I, it was the beginning of my career. I was very young. And I was very, very careful setting it up with the guidelines. And I had a signed contract with the owner. There was a full-time mashgiach, a supervisor working in the store, full-time watching everything that happened. And, you know, I thought that I was being very careful and I thought that it was 100%. One Matsoy Shabbos, Saturday night. I happened to be up late. I don't know, it was maybe one in the morning. And the next day in my shul, I was the rabbi of Young Israel of Metairie in, in, in New Orleans. The next day there was going to be a bris. And that night, the Saturday night, the family was in the shul preparing the meal that would be served the next day at the bris. In those days, that was the policy we had in that shul. It was a religious family. They kept kosher. And we allowed families to come in and do the cooking for their own event. It's not something that we would do now or here, but in those days, that was something that we allowed. And I was up, it was 1 a.m., and I figured I'll just drive by and just say hello, check in, see what's going on. So I dropped into the shul. It was very busy. They had their whole extended family there. We were friends. And I said, hello. I checked everything out. Everything was fine. It was great. Everything was fine. Then I said to myself, I'm already up. I'm already out. I'm just going to drive down the street past the deli that I supervise. I knew it was closed. There's nothing to see, but I figured I'm out. I'm in the car. I just drove down the street. Of course, it was closed. I didn't expect to see anything. 
it was now maybe, let's say, two in the morning. And I drove by. And the front was closed and dark. But I could see there was a light on in the back. So I knocked on the front door. And there was no answer, no response. But I could see in the back there's a light turned on. So I kept knocking. I just kept knocking. And finally, the owner of the deli comes to the door, which is still locked. It's a glass door. He's looking at me through the glass door. And I said, hi, I, please let me in. I just want to come see what's going on. And he said, no. So what do you mean, no? We have a contract. The contract states, whenever anyone is on the premises, I have the right to come in to see what's going on, to make sure that it's kosher. You have to let me in. And he said, no, I'm not letting you in. I'm not opening the door. So I said, listen, if you don't open this door right now, I am removing the kosher certification from your store and I am announcing immediately that your store is no longer kosher. And he said, if you do that, I will shoot you. <sighs> so... I said to him, okay, um, just understand you are no longer a kosher store. I am removing your certification as of this moment. You are no longer kosher. And as soon as people wake up in the morning, they're going to learn you're no longer kosher. The next day, one of the workers in the store told me that she saw non-kosher chicken packages in the dumpster behind the store, which of course is what he did not want me to see, which is why he didn't let me in. Now, fortunately, at that time we lived in a duplex and our neighbor, his name was Walter, was a police officer. So I showed Walter a photo of this owner, this man. Walter showed me where he was putting his gun near his front door. And um, I felt very safe. I, I had no worries. Walter was very good at protecting us. A few days passed and the owner called me. He said he was sorry. He regretted what he had done. He begged me to reinstate him. And I started to think about it. And I started to think in my mind of ways that I might be able to reinstate him, ways to strengthen the supervision. I could insist, for example, that I would be the only one to have the key. He would not even have the key so that I would be the one in control of who enters and who doesn't. I was thinking about this and... I called my Rebbe, my teacher. At that time, and still, 
one of my teachers and mentors is Rabbi Moshe Heinemann. He's one of the world's great experts in Jewish law. He is the one who heads and started and is the expert for the Star-K, one of the major conscious organizations in the world. Most of the practical Jewish law I know, I learned from him. So I called him and I asked him what I should do. And he gave me an answer that I've never forgotten. And I have always followed this answer since. He said to me, if the owner of this deli is not an honest person, it doesn't matter what kind of supervision you have. It doesn't matter what kind of contract you have. It doesn't matter what safeguards you put in place. A dishonest person will always find a way to cut corners and to compromise kashras. So don't ever enter an agreement with someone you don't trust. And I followed his advice and I never supervised that person again. Later, when we moved to New Haven in Connecticut, I supervised several different places, numerous different places. Most of my effort was with two specific places in New Haven. One is called Edge of the Woods. It's a grocery store and a bakery and a restaurant. And the other is Claire's. It's a dairy restaurant in downtown New Haven. Both of them, by the way, are still kosher. Both of them are still doing well. Both places were and are owned by the most wonderful, honest, good people you can imagine. And I was always proud to be associated with those two individuals and with their businesses. And it became such an important policy of mine to always insist on only entering into agreements with someone that I could be that I could trust and someone that I could be proud to be working with. A few years after that, there was a small store in New Haven that called me and they asked me to supervise their store. And this was a simple little place. Mostly what they sold was uh, it was a restaurant. And they sold um, they served salad and quiche and soup. That's about it. A very small place. They asked me to supervise and it would have been pretty easy to do. And it would have been a nice addition to the kosher offerings in the community. So I went there to inspect it, to see, to look at everything, to see the ingredients, to see the, the equipment, to figure out what would be necessary. While I was there looking around, the owner was training a new waitress. And I overheard their conversation. And the owner said to the waitress, when you're heating up a piece of quiche in the microwave to serve to a customer, make sure that you take it out of the microwave before the microwave rings, makes a noise. Because 
we don't want the customers to hear that sound that comes from a microwave when, when the food is ready, because then they're going to know that it was reheated in a microwave, and we want them to think that it came fresh from the oven. So I remembered what Rabbi Heinemann had said to me, and I said to myself, this place is not for me, and I told them I was not able to work with them. When I was a kid, there was a candy bar I loved called Mounds Bars. And that was coconut covered in dark chocolate. And there was also Almond Joy, which had almonds. It was covered in milk chocolate. One of many candy bars that I did and still would enjoy. So I was particularly thrilled when I was called by the OU to supervise the only place in the world where Mounds Bars are made, which is in Naugatuck, Connecticut, about an hour drive from New Haven where we lived. And for several years, I had the satisfaction of knowing that every Mounds Bar and every Almond Joy in the world was kosher because of my effort, my work. Which I have to admit was not really too hard because this factory in Naugatuck, Connecticut made the same items with the same ingredients at the same place for 87 years. Okay, but I was diligent. I was working on behalf of the OU. And of course, each time I would visit, I would inspect every single room, every ingredient, every process, including, by the way, inspecting all the paperwork to see the invoices of the raw materials, the ingredients that were brought in to make sure the amount of ingredients that I could see, which were kosher, matched the amount of output, and by the way, that's a really important part of kosher supervision to make sure that the paperwork is in order and that you're checking it. So on my first visit there, the manager was showing me around the factory and he passed a room that we did not enter. So I said, what about that room? I want to see that room. And he said, no, you don't need to see that room. That room is our R&D lab, our research and development lab. It's not part of our production. It's completely separate. You don't need to see that. So I said to him very respectfully, I said, well, please understand, I have to see every single item in the entire premises. And if there would be a non-kosher ingredient, even though you're telling me it's separate, I would still have to arrange the supervision to take account of a non-kosher item and be able to ascertain that it that that I could confirm that it never uh, infiltrated the kosher products. So I, you know, I've got to be able to see everything. I have to know every single item in the whole place, and I have to see this room. So he said, fine. So we went into this lab 
And I checked everything there, and it was fine. There were no problems. There was no problems. But then I asked him the following question. I said, excuse me for asking this question, but there's something I don't understand. You only make two candy bars here, Mounds Bar and Almond Joy. You are making the same items with the same ingredients. You have never changed anything in 80 years. Why do you need an R&D lab? What research are you doing? What development are you doing? You're not developing anything new. It's all the same. It doesn't change. So I remember his answer, which has been a lesson for me, not just about kashras, but about religious life in general. He said to me, we are always experimenting. We are always looking for ways to improve. And even if we haven't yet found any way to improve, we will never stop trying. I thought that was a fantastic lesson, a fantastic attitude in life. And I have tried, I do try to live with that lesson in mind. So I want to share one more story for tonight. There was a rabbi in Boston I admired very much, and I often worked with Rabbi Avraham Halbfinger, a blessed memory, a wonderful person. He was the head of KVH, which is the Boston Vad Hakashris, the Boston Kosher Certifying Organization. He was the one in charge of several large supervisions. For example, at one time, all of Kellogg's cereals were supervised by KVH, many other products. He succeeded in arranging for the supervision, the kosher supervision, for stop-and-shop bakeries. Now, stop-and-shop is a large chain of groceries, grocery stores, throughout New England. They're great stores. And he accomplished something amazing. It was trailblazing, really, with Stop and Shop. He negotiated that every Stop and Shop bakery would be supplied by a central commissary under his supervision, under the supervision, the kosher supervision of the KVH, the Boston VOD. The products would come to the store par-baked, meaning partially baked, frozen, par-baked. And then each store would just finish the baking and put the pastries together. So that meant that everything in, this, in the bakery was kosher and it was fresh-baked and it was delicious. Each store needed a local rabbi to supervise the store, and Rabbi Halbfinger in Boston, the KVH, supervised the commissary. It was an amazing setup. I was asked, I was honored, 
I was asked to supervise the first kosher stop-and-shop bakery in Connecticut. Okay? Now, there were several stop-and-shop grocery stores around the area, around New Haven. And the one that I supervised was in a suburb, uh, a, a bit of a distance away from our home, from our neighborhood. And it worked well, I have to tell you. <laughs> Stop and shop donuts are the best donuts I have ever tasted, bar none. Now, at my request, Rabbi Halbfinger was able to get the Stop and Shop management to agree that I would supervise this one suburban store, the bakery in this suburban area, and they would not make the bakery at any other location kosher. Specifically, there was a stop and shop very close to our home. But the store that was close to us was about a block away from a small Jewish-owned bakery and had Stop and Shop, this giant behemoth of a company, open a kosher bakery a block away from this tiny, privately-owned kosher bakery. There's no way that this small kosher bakery would be able to survive. They would go out of business. They could not survive that competition. And... Um, and at that time, by the way, I did not supervise this bakery. Later, I, I did. But at this time, but at that time, I, I, I didn't have any connection to this bakery other than the fact that I just didn't feel it was right for a stop and shop to open a kosher bakery a block away from an existing Jewish-owned company that would go out of business if stop and shop would do it. So I agreed to do the one further away with the proviso that they never make kosher the one that was close to us. Okay. And Stop and Shop agreed to this condition, and it was in effect for quite a number of years. Until, years later, the people in charge changed, and Stop and Shop called me to ask me to supervise the bakery in this closer stop-and-shop grocery store location. So I told them it's not right, and we had an agreement that you weren't going to do this. But they said, well, you know, that was then, this is now. And so I resigned. Because while I couldn't stop them from opening, I couldn't stop them from finding another rabbi who would be willing to supervise their store. I would not be a part of it. And this is one of the most important lessons that I learned working in the field of kashras. You have to be a person of principle. You have to stand up for what's right even when it costs you, especially when it costs you. You have to stand up for what's right.
Now, I won't claim that I always live up to that. But I try. And that's a lesson that I learned from my experience in kosher certification. I have many, many more stories and many more lessons that I've learned from being the a kosher supervisor of different places. And hopefully we'll find another time that I can share more of these experiences. But I want to leave you with this tonight. When the Torah introduces in our Torah portion this week, the Parsha of Shemini, when the Torah introduces what is and what is not kosher, the Torah makes no claim that eating kosher is healthier than non-kosher. There's no claim that kosher is better for the environment than non-kosher. The only thing the Torah says in our Parsha about the goal of kosher, of keeping kosher, the Torah says, v'hiyisem kadoshim, it should make you holy. Now the truth is we need to struggle as we follow the myriad details of keeping kosher, we need to struggle to achieve that goal that it should make us more holy. More holy by being mindful of everything that goes in our mouths and everything that comes out of our mouths. By remembering God's part in providing everything we have. And by finding ways through what we eat to become better and holier. I am tremendously grateful for the experiences I have had and continue to have. And the lessons I have learned and continue to learn through providing kosher supervision. It has helped make my life a better and more meaningful life. And hopefully all of us who do keep kosher will likewise be able to see that their lives, that your lives are better and holier as a result of following God's laws. My friends, I want to thank you very much. I want to wish you a great night and a wonderful Shabbos. And I look forward to seeing all of you soon in person.